So this week, I was scrolling on Twitter. I came across this tweet from an inspirational speaker named Joshua Metcalf. Here's what he said. He said, can you be counted on to do what you say you are going to do, how you said you were going to do it, when you said you were going to do it, every single time? This alone will separate you from 99% of people. And so I immediately saved it because I simultaneously love it and hate it. So here's what I love about it. I think it's actually a really helpful definition of faithfulness. Right? Are you the kind of person who does what you say you're going to do, and you do it how you said you're going to do it, and you do it when you said you're going to do it, and you do it every single time? That's a really helpful definition of faithfulness. It's, it's repeated reliability over the long haul. And might I add, not just doing it every single time, but doing it every single time, year after year after year after year after year after year for the long haul. That's faithfulness. I think it's a helpful little definition, a little snapshot of faithfulness. Here's the rub, though. Joshua says, Mr. Metcalf, I don't know him, Mr. Metcalf says this, that if you do this, it will separate you from 99% of people. And I take exception to that. It will separate you from 100% of people. Because no one does this other than Jesus. And we may have every intention to do what we say, how we say it, when we say it, every single time, year after year after year. But I'll be honest, I don't. I know you don't. And so it'll separate you from everybody. That separation isn't happening. I think we all realize that as much as we want to be a people who are faithful, we aren't every single time. Open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is where we find the Apostle Paul listing out what has been called the fruit of the Spirit. It's something we've been studying all summer. And also, one more slight apology. This is a slight apology. Uh, We did them out of order last week. So last week, Ramsey preached on goodness. And some of you are like, wait a minute, what happened to faithfulness? Did we just kick that out of the fruit of the Spirit? No, we have not kicked faithfulness out of the fruit of the Spirit. We just did them in a different order. And so we're not skipping faithfulness. We're going to be faithful to faithfulness today. Here's what Paul says. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And in a world of infidelity, we are being called to cultivate faithfulness, the fruit of faithfulness. And even though we may fail, and we do fail, this is the call to a life of repeated reliability over the long haul. So today, uh, we're going to take the next step here, do the next part of this series. We're almost done with it. We're going to look to the scripture to give us some help. What does it look like to be that kind of a man, that kind of a woman, to be those kind of people? 
Pastor Alistair Begg, in talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he noted that every dimension of the fruit, and we notice it's one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit are these nine things, nine facets, nine dimensions of the same fruit. But he notes this. He says that all the fruit of the Spirit originate in the character of God, are fully embodied in the Son of God, and then are to be cultivated in the people of God. Like, here's where the fruit comes from. Like, this fruit is named good because it comes from God. God. God is the one who originates this character. And if we have any questions, we can look to Jesus, who has fully embodied the fruit of the Spirit. And then as the people of God, we're called to allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate this in and through us, too, with faithfulness being one piece of this fruit. How do we then live out a kind of faithfulness that originates in God's character, that's fully embodied in Jesus, and then becomes to flow out of our lives too? That's the, that's the million-dollar question. So, I may not have a million-dollar answer, but I do think I have a good one. So, if you have your Bibles, flip from Galatians 5, go back to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at Psalm 37 today. We're going to use Psalm 37 as a roadmap of faithfulness that helps us understand this a bit more. So turn to Psalm 37. I'm going to read the larger passage. We're going to zoom in on verse 3, Psalm 37, 3. But let me read the whole thing, at least the first opening seven verses to help give some context to this. This is a Psalm of David, and David writes this. He says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So a little context here. Psalm 37, the Psalm of David. David's the author. And in pretty typical David form, David's wrestling with God, and he's wrestling through how his real life experience meets a real God. And in Psalm 37, here's the core of his problem. Here's the core of his issue. He looks at the world around him and he sees evil, wicked people committed to doing evil and not just getting away with it, but getting ahead. So, like, well, this is, makes no sense. He's asking the question, is it worth it to live a faithful life according to the way of God when it looks like, like, read the news, go on social media, look online, and you're like, it seems like those that are committed to opposite of God's way seem to be getting away with it and seem to be prospering. And you're like, ah, this is David saying, I'm jealous. This is David saying, it doesn't seem to add up. Is it worth doing the hard work of faithfully following God? He's like, I'm not seeing the same payoff 
for walking in God's way. And so in envy, in these moments, David is saying, is it worth it? Is it worth doing what's right in a world where everyone does whatever they want to seemingly without consequence? Ever asked that question? God, what am I doing? Is it worth it? So that's the deeper issue at play in Psalm 37. David's wrestling with these questions. Following God in a world that plays by a different set of rules. And so David's answer to his own question is an emphatic yes. It is actually worth it. And this psalm says why. Verse 2, we're told that one day, in the long run, bigger picture in mind, the evildoer will fade like grass and wither like the herbs. Verse 5, we're told that one day God will act. Verse 6, we're told that one day God will bring justice as bright as the noonday sun. Verse 9, verse 10, we're told that one day the wicked will be cut off and be judged. And one day, this is where Jesus got this from the Beatitudes, one day the meek actually will inherit the earth. And in the long run, those who walk in the way of Yahweh, verse 11, will delight themselves in abundant peace. So as he's, he's like, I'm, I'm jealous, God. I'm not sure if it's worth doing the work over the long haul, but David pulls out the telescope, not the microscope. He pulls out the telescope to see the big picture, and he realizes that it won't always be this way. And he pulls out the telescope to tell his soul to be patient and not get corroded with envy because of the evildoers of our age. So that's, that's kind of the microcosm of Psalm 37, 1 through 7. It's good for us to be reminded of. Zooming in then on verse 3, with that in mind, this little verse is gold. It has a lot here especially when it has to do with faithfulness. So in a world where the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, the gap continues, people who have no thought of God seemingly run away with no consequences, and it feels like we just pull our hair out going mad. Is it worth following God with evil and wickedness running rampant and unchecked? How do I live in a way where I'm not envious? Or not just tempted to throw in the towel. How do I keep on keeping on? Psalm 37.3. When Paul writes in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit includes love, joy, peace, and faithfulness. When he talks about faithfulness, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? Psalm 37.3. Do you want to be a person of faithfulness? Psalm 37.3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and befriend faithfulness. You might have that verse memorized by the time we're done tonight. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell on the land. Befriend faithfulness. 
Let me just talk about those four things. I'm not even going to alliterate them. I'm not going to come up with clever things. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell on the land. Befriend faithfulness. Trust in the Lord. When you look back at the fruit of the Spirit list from Galatians 5, when Paul writes out his initial list, the word translated faithfulness is the Greek word pistis, which in many other places in the New Testament, it's translated not faithfulness, but faith. So some of us maybe have some of our favorite faith verses Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through pistis, through faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now pistis, faith, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 12.2, fixing our eyes, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our pistis. Same word, where the fruit of the Spirit is pistis. The fruit of the Spirit is faith. I think the old King James translates it that way, but most of the modern translations go with faithfulness. Why is that? Well, I think it's because, maybe you'll get a sense of this as we move forward, but the root of faithfulness is faith. And so technically, as he talks about the fruit of the Spirit being faithfulness, the beginning of faithfulness is faith. It's trust. Faithfulness involves trust and trustworthiness. Faithfulness involves faith and faithfulness. So bringing this back to Psalm 37.3, the very first line, the very first statement, how would I begin to live a life of faithfulness? A life of faithfulness begins in faith and trust in God. It doesn't begin with yourself. And that's like the, the, the self-made American messaging is you be faithful, Faithfulness is rooted in faith, in trust in God as the source of it all. And here's why we can even begin to have a concept of faithfulness. Not because of you and not because of me. Our concept of faithfulness is framed by a faithful God. And all throughout the story, all throughout the pages of the Bible, we are told that he is a faithful God. I'll just kind of rapid fire some of these next ones, if we can put it up. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God is a faithful God. Psalm 91, verse 4, He will cover you with his pinions. Anyone know what pinions are? Feathers, wings, bird analogy here. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. It's our, our defense. It is our place of refuge. In an unsafe world, your safety is found in a faithful God. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. My friends, this is the consistent and overwhelming testimony of the ages from the Bible, through the prophets, through the writings. God is faithful. God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And his invitation to you is to trust, to entrust yourself, to have faith in him. Trust in the Lord. 
Psalm 37, 3 begins. That's where faithfulness begins. It's that there's a God who has been faithful. And maybe that's too abstract for you. Let me give it to you as clearly as I can. When the Bible says that, the, that God is faithful, here's what he means. It means that God never lies. It means that God never breaks his promises. And it means that God never changes. He never lies. He can't. He never breaks his promises. He never changes. That's, that's the rock-solid foundation of faithfulness. It's a God who never lies, who never breaks his promises, and who never changes. That's why he is the only one who does what he says, how he says it, when he says it, every single time, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. He is faithful. Trust in him. Trust in him. He won't lie to you. He can't lie to you. He keeps his promises when others bend and break their promises. And he doesn't change. He's consistent. Throw the weight of your life on him. Trust in the Lord. Faithfulness feeds on faith. And faith feeds on faithfulness. Be like, okay, I'm a really practical person, Paul. What do I need to do? All right? Trust in the Lord and do good. That may not be helpful for you either. <laughs> I know that's big. I know that's broad. And I know that can maybe come across as moralistic. Do good. Don't do bad. Do good. But that's the invitation. That's kind of the point of faithfulness. As you come to trust in God, as you lean on him, as you bank on the one who doesn't lie and doesn't break his promises and who never changes, that you then are, have, have some bearing to actually live life on his terms and live his way and seek to do what is good. Every single day in every area of your life, you have the opportunity to do good. You have the chance to sow seeds of faithfulness by doing small things with great love that add up over a lifetime to so very much. If you want to be a person of faithfulness as you are trusting God then, first, seek to do good. In your job this week, do good. Sow seeds of being a faithful employee. Sow seeds of goodness as a boss. Opportunities to do good to those in your place of employment. In your home, do good. As a parent, you get to do good. As a faithful roommate, a faithful spouse, a faithful friend. What does that mean? A whole bunch of opportunities that mirror and reflect the goodness and faithfulness of God. Show up, be present, listen well, keep your word, don't cut corners, be generous, look to involve others, clean up after yourselves. Goodness sakes, do the dishes, tip well. Do good. Do God things, God's character. Follow the example of Jesus. As Mother Teresa once said, 
be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. A lot of us want to be famous Christians. A lot of us want to be well-known. We want to go viral. We want to have a platform. We want to have the big things happen. Faithfulness won't show up in the headlines. Doing good may not ever be noticed. But this is the stuff of the kingdom. Little, small investments in others and the world for the sake of the king. One day we're going to be really surprised when we stand before the Lord. And we learn about things we had no idea. So to do this good, you don't need a title, and you don't need a position, and you don't need a paycheck. It's free. It's without restriction. Do good. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. So here's a really powerful faithfulness lesson that can be hard for us to stomach, especially as people of faith and especially as Americans of faith. We're a go people, right? I like to go, got things to do, places to go, people to see. And we love to tell stories of great faith about people who are willing to go Follow God into new lands. And we love to tell the story of Abraham. And God tells Abraham, go to a land that I'll tell you and show you. We love to talk about Ruth going and following Naomi. And we hear the go of the Great Commission. And we know the stories of missionaries that have gone and been sent. And all of that is good. I don't want to undermine the go of the kingdom. God is definitely ascending God. And God is committed to his, the knowledge of his glory covering the earth as the water covers the sea. But you need to hear this too and know this that sometimes the greatest act of faith is not to go but to stay put sometimes the hardest act of faith is not to go but to stay where you are where you're bored where you have people that irritate you where you know things actually too well Sometimes the call of faithfulness is not to up and leave. Now, if, if God calls you to go, go. By all means, we will cheer you as you go. But don't mistake that sometimes in the call of faithfulness, God says, don't just chase the greener pasture. Sometimes the act of faith, the deeper work of faithfulness is to stay put and to stay in one place for a long period of time and to put down deep roots. Psalm 37.3 dwell in the land. It's a, there's a word that our culture has for the opposite of this. It's called wanderlust. It's a strong desire to be somewhere else, somewhere where you aren't. It's the allure of the big city. It's the enticement of new people and new possibilities. One author in his book, The Power of Place, he says, we learned you don't always have to leave to build a life of significance. In fact, sometimes the most significant thing you can do is stay in a place, stay for the long haul, stay and give your life away for the good of these people in this place. And so it is with the cultivation of faithfulness. Again, don't hear me wrong on this. You can be a person of faithfulness by moving to a new place. I'm not saying that. 
Again, be obedient to where the Spirit calls you. But until he does, dwell in the land. Put down roots. Have relationships. Be known and know. It's putting down roots and dwelling in the land that creates a context for faithfulness to flourish. So dwelling in the land means you will get to know names of people over the course of time because you keep running into them and you learn their name. Dwelling in the land means that you may go to the same store or the same restaurant or the same places. Dwelling in the land means that you actually have the time over time to create and plant and build because some things just take time. That you invest in relationships that go deep and aren't disposable. And so that when and if conflict arises, you're willing to work through them instead of just cutting bait and running away. This is the stuff of the kingdom. This is the stuff of faithfulness. This is the ground where it grows. Same people, same places, same schools, same families, same businesses, the same sames. And I'll just tell you, I get bored with the same same sometimes. It's counter-cultural to our hypermobility. But as those who have gone before us call it, it can be the sacred stay. Would you be willing to say yes to the sacred stay? So that you can trust in the Lord and do good, like in the same place. And again, I'm going to keep caveating it. There's a time when God calls you, right? There's a time when we moved our house from the neighborhood we were in to our new one. It's not wrong to leave. And the times when God calls you to leave, pack up and leave with the full assurance that the God who sends you will be with you and he precedes you. But until then, reality church, may we be a faithful people dwelling in the land. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. And then the last part of this Psalm 37.3. Feed on faithfulness. So back to Psalm 37.3. This is the last of the four lines, last of the quads. And we find this idiom, which depending on which Bible you use, you're going to get a different translation. Warning you. It's, It's a Hebrew idiom that the translators pull their hair out trying to say, what does this mean? So here, here's the, the smattering of translations. ESV says, befriend faithfulness. The NIV says, enjoy safe pasture. The New Living says, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. The New American Standard says, cultivate faithfulness. The New King James says, feed on his faithfulness. So there's a little head scratching. Like, what does this phrase mean? Literally, the Hebrew reads, dwell in the land and graze in the pasture of faithfulness, which sounds weird. That's why some say befriend it, some say cultivate it, some say talk about safe pasture. But I think it's this really beautiful, like sheep, shepherd, pastoral, pastoral image. 
And it's this way of faith and faithfulness that goes together. This idea that trust and trustworthiness goes together. This idea that faithfulness begins in faith and that a life that is trustworthy begins with a life that trusts. And if we want to be a people who can do good and to be a people who dwell in the land, who stay and put down deep roots and build and create and invest in a people and a place, then we have to find a source for that kind of living. That's why we need to feed on faithfulness. So we must walk our little sheeply lives out. I was going to make a sheep noise, but my kids would have made fun of me for that, so I'll refrain from making sheep noises. Thank you. And we would walk our little sheep lives out into the pasture of faithfulness and have some lunch. Because something within us is not wanting to trust and something within us is not wanting to be trustworthy and be faithful. And so we need to find a source for trust and trustworthiness and faith and faithfulness. And so the psalmist says, feed on it. Feed on some faithfulness as a source of your trust and your trustworthiness. Feed on God's faithfulness. Feed on the faithfulness of others. Probably one of the greatest hymns in the history of the church is the well-known classic, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Ever heard it? Many of you have heard it. Many of you know it. Here are the lyrics. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Listen to me, though. Do you know where the title comes from? Do you know where this hymn comes from? It comes from a line from Lamentations 3 that I read to you to start our time today. You realize the disconnect in that? The source of great is thy faithfulness is Lamentations 3. You ever read Lamentations 3? I'll read it to you one more time. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's great is thy faithfulness. It comes right here. Lamentations 3. Do you know what Lamentations is? Yeah, it's a book of mourning. It is a collection of Hebrew poetic laments. I'll save you the time if you haven't read it. It's Hebrew poetry written about the time when the city of God, the city of Jerusalem, was smashed and overrun by pagan invaders who destroyed their land, captured their leaders, and took them into exile. It was the most cruel, harsh, devastating era in the history of Israel. Rough times, one may say. So why are some of the sweetest words of God's faithfulness found in an era that was so sour? Because that's precisely the point. God's faithfulness is not dependent on our present circumstances or only in the good times, but the greatness of God's faithfulness continues in the most foul of seasons. And it's actually precisely in those moments when you find yourself smack dab in the dark and you can't see up. You, can't, you don't even know which way sideways. 
You can't tell what's going on, and your heart is crushed. And it seems like God has lied, and it seems like God has broken his promises, and it seems like God has changed a whole lot. That's when you need to feed on God's faithfulness because he hasn't lied to you, and he hasn't broken his promises to you, and he hasn't changed to you. And we need reminders of his faithfulness in the dark. Great is thy faithfulness. And it's in those moments that you and I need to take our little sheeply lives. Thank you. Our little sheeply lives. And we need to walk out into the pasture of God's faithfulness. We need to walk into the pasture of God's character and have lunch and eat there. And that's what we need so much is to feast on the truth that our God never lies, never breaks covenant, and He never changes. We've got to find a way to feed on the faithfulness of God. But it's also other people's faithfulness too. And we get to feed on that as an expression of God's faithfulness. Maybe in your mind's eye right now, you can think of people, again, not perfect, not every single time, but there are people in your life that God has shown his faithfulness through. Who are the people who do what they said, how they said it, when they said it, time after time? Who keeps their word even when it hurts? Who has stayed when others have left? Who has offered you their faithful presence? Sometimes we can feed on the faithfulness of other people as an expression of God's perfect faithfulness in our lives. This also may sound odd and sacrilegious. Sometimes it's an animal or a pet. Also, again, not in the same category as God. Not in the same category as God's people. Sometimes, though, animals and pets are a small window into faithfulness as a reminder of a God who never changes. So take that and feed on that, too. It may just help you trust and do good and dwell on the land. But friends, family, parents, dogs, pets aside, how foolish would I be if I didn't end a conversation on feeding on faithfulness, befriending faithfulness, without specifically highlighting Jesus, the faithful Son of God. Jesus, the only human who can be counted on doing what he said, how he said it, when he said it, every single time, always. Jesus, the one who left heaven, came to earth as a baby, grew up, he did good, he dwelt in the land, he never sinned, he never broke a promise, he never leaves, he never forsakes. He's the perfect, sinless sacrifice for humanity. He offers you forgiveness of your sin. He promises to finish the good work that he started in your life. He promises one day to come and return and make all things new. He offered his body and his blood for our faithfulness. Jesus, who according to Hebrews 13 is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he calls us to feast on his faithfulness today. And his faithful life, death, and resurrection is food enough 
for every challenge that you face. And he says, come tonight, come. If you need a source for faithfulness, come. Feed on me. Eat my body, drink my blood. He says, I'll be faithful to you even when you're not. So, do you have it memorized yet? Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. May he make us a faithful people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, faithful one, faithful friend, faithful king, faithful savior, faithful Messiah. How we've failed. How faithful you are. And in a constantly shifting world, you are the one who always keeps your word and you never break your promises and you never lie and you always stay the same. So God, we choose to anchor ourselves in you. God, help us even tonight to feed on you and to feed on your faithfulness as the source as the remedy, as the redemption of our unfaithfulness that wants to be more faithful like you. God, I pray for those that are here tonight that may not yet know you and may they not hear a message of self-improvement but a message of radical grace through the person and work of Jesus. And may they finally hear good news for their soul. May they respond in faith and trust. Follow you. May we all respond in faith and trust and repentance and follow you. Make us faithful as you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.